Well, what a great last line, King Jesus, our victory will win. That's so true in light of this text in Micah. If you'd open your Bibles to Micah chapter 5 tonight, Micah chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 5 to 15, and this is what the text says. This one, this shepherd that's going to come out of Bethlehem, this one will be our peace. When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Now that right there, just pause in the reading for a moment, teaches us that this is going to go beyond Assyria. So we're talking about major dimensions of land that are going to be conquered here. And verse 6 says, And he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land, And when he tramples our territory, then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on vegetation, which do not wait for man or delay for the sons of men. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to rescue. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asherim from among you and destroy your cities. I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. By the way, that last phrase on the nations which have not obeyed certainly gives us a legitimate right to apply this to nations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word and we thank you for your people who have come out to partake of it tonight. We pray that you would minister to our minds and hearts this evening, and we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have certainly been seeing in this book of Micah, and we're certainly seeing in our own country, there are many leaders, political and religious leaders, who don't care at all about what the Word of God says. They don't care at all if they lead people into the ways of the Lord, and frankly, they don't even care if they're leading people of their own constituency into the destruction of Almighty God. But the real question that we have to ask ourselves as the people of God is, what in the world can we do about that? Now, certainly we can pray, and we do, and certainly we can study the word, and we do. We should stay faithful, and we do, and we can vote. But what do we do about this? And then when it comes time for an election year, you get all of the political rhetoric in which the politicians who are running for office say, now the future is in your hands. No, it isn't. The future is not in our hands. The fact of the matter is, all we can do when we see what's going on in the world is to trust the sovereign plan and sovereign God and wait on him to intervene. That's what we can do. And that's what Micah was challenging the people of Israel to do. As we come to this portion of the book of Micah, we come to a text that develops the shepherd ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in regard to Israel. In Micah 5.4, Micah says to Israel that the one you want to look for 
who will come and ultimately deliver you and fulfill all of the blessings that you will have as a nation is that one who will be born in Bethlehem. He will be the one who will arise. He will be the one who will take a stand for you. He will govern you in the strength of the Lord. And that one who is born in Bethlehem is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Israel's shepherd. And he's also our shepherd. Even though he's not, in a national sense, our shepherd, he is in an individual sense. In fact, there are three places in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is called the shepherd in regard to the church. In John 10, 11, Jesus is called the good shepherd who lays down his life for salvation. He lays down his life for the sheep in salvation. In Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus is called the great shepherd who is in the process of developing his flock in sanctification. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus is called the chief shepherd who will give his people eternal rewards. Jesus Christ is the one Israel needs to look for. Jesus Christ is the one we need to look for. And when we come to this text of scripture tonight, the shepherd of Israel, who will be born in Bethlehem, will eventually come and do some wonderful shepherding things for his nation Israel. And this is going to be a time when Israel is going to be the dominant nation of the world. This is unbelievable what you see in this chapter. Now we've been seeing in Romans that God has a national plan for Israel, and we as Gentiles have not replaced that plan. We certainly saw that in living color this morning. But God's plan for Israel is still operative, and she has a glorious future in store, and this text makes that point clear. And it all centers on the one, verse 5, this one. It all centers on one. One person who will come out of Bethlehem, he will shepherd the sons of Israel. So there's one person who is a he person, and he's going to come and do wonderful things for Israel, and that person is none other than Jesus Christ. He will be the shepherd who will do these things. And there are ten accomplishments that Micah lays out for Israel and for us to look at tonight. First of all, Jesus Christ will be Israel's peace. Notice verse 5, this one will be our peace. Now, it is predicted in many passages of Scripture that Jesus Christ is ultimately going to be the one who will bring peace to the world. Isaiah, in his listing of names pertaining to Jesus Christ, in Isaiah 9, 6, said that his name will be Counselor and Wonderful and the Mighty God, and he called him Prince of Peace. When we went through the book of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 9, we saw that Jesus the King will speak peace to the nations. But then when you go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, we learn that Jesus Christ, who is also Israel's peace, is our peace as well. He's the one who can give peace to our hearts and souls and minds. He can give peace to our life in the midst of living in a chaotic world. And I don't want us to overlook this fact because it's such a critical fact. Israel's peace is in a person, not in a military. The one who can actually give peace to Israel is Jesus Christ. The one who can actually give peace to you is Jesus Christ. Israel is not to have total peace until her shepherd is here. Israel will not have total peace until Jesus Christ returns and gives her that peace. She isn't going to be able to work out some peace treaty with a bunch of nations that's going to give her the peace that's been promised to her. It will take Jesus Christ being here in person. He is the one who is the peace. And the world is not going to have peace until he gets back here and takes things over. The individuals who run the world now, they're not going to be able to negotiate peace for the world, even though there's all these talks of peace. And there are these NATO meetings where they try to develop peace plan and peace talks. They're not going to be able to do it. The individual who's able to bring peace is going to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what I think we need to realize, ladies and gentlemen, in the world in which we're living, which is not at peace, is that our hope is in him. It's not in a political party. It's not in a political candidate. It's not in a political leader. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the peace. He's Israel's peace. He's our peace. The second accomplishment is Jesus Christ enables Israel to be victorious over enemies. In verse 5, he says, When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders. Right after Micah says the one born in Bethlehem who will be the shepherd, who will bring peace to the world and peace to us, he mentions Assyria. Now that's interesting because Assyria was a real threat to the north in the north of Israel. What Micah is doing is he's prophetically bringing up one that wouldn't be at peace with Israel. So what he's basically saying here is that the one who will bring peace is going to be one who won't give it to you immediately. In fact, Assyria is going to play a key role in this and in the sovereign plan of God. There would be these enemies that would come. These enemies would rise up. They would come against Israel and eventually these enemies are going to be destroyed. What God was going to do was he was going to permit Assyria to invade Israel's land, which she did in 722 B.C. He would permit her to trample citadels and fortified cities, which she did. We know that Sennacherib in 2 Kings chapter 19 brought the Assyrian army right to Jerusalem. He surrounded Jerusalem with the intention of going in there and slaughtering all the people and ripping down the city. And that night, 185,000 people died. So what basically Micah is saying is, yes, you're going to see enemies like the Assyrians. You're going to have your share of troubles as you go through this world. But what you need to understand is God will always fulfill his promises to you. And in the end, you will end up victorious and the enemies will end up defeated. And of course, the reason why God even permitted the Assyrians to come up against these people is because those political religious leaders had led the people away from God. They had led people away from the word of God. There were serious consequences for that. God keeps records of what people are doing. And when people are being led astray from the word and will of God, there are consequences to that. By the way, the other thing, too, that is interesting about this is Micah doesn't challenge these people to run away from the world, but what he does say is you trust your shepherd while you're in the world. So in other words, you keep your focus on that one who's your shepherd who will come from Bethlehem. Now the third accomplishment is Jesus Christ will appoint a share of his kingdom with men. I find verse 5 interesting. The text says, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders. Now this is obviously a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he will come back and appoint leadership that will help him reign. What's interesting to me is the numbers here. When God permits his people to be disciplined, he raises up leaders who will lead his people in the right direction. And when he gets back here to start blessing the nation, he uses a series of numbers here, a couple of numbers at the end of verse 5. There's seven shepherds and eight leaders now, there's been some discussion, are you talking about seven, which would mean eight total? Or are you talking about seven plus eight, which would equal 15 total? Quite honestly, you can build a pretty good case for each one of the arguments. But apparently, these individuals that are going to be in leadership when God is going to bless his people will be empowered and enabled by God to shepherd the flock of God in the right way. Now, I want you to consider the fact that he's using eight guys or 15 guys 
to govern the world. Eight guys or 15 guys to govern the world and to govern the entire nation Israel. Now let's put that in some perspective because in the United States we have a military and in our military we have 43 four-star generals. We have 653 generals in the United States. And they're governing a whole military regiment all over the country, all over the nation, in fact, all over the world. But what is being said here is that when the shepherd gets back here and the shepherd is back here governing men, he won't need big numbers to do it. He'll just have a few faithful that will be assigned to carry out the responsibilities. Now, there have been some guesses who these guys are. Jewish rabbis claim the seven shepherds are David, Adam, Seth, Methuselah, Abraham, Jacob, and Moses. And there's one commentator who says the eight guys would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Jude, and Paul. The text doesn't tell us who they are. What we do know is God is going to allow certain people to be in positions of authority and power to reign in regard to a righteous reign of Jesus Christ. And it's humbling to think about that. It's very humbling to think about the fact that the God King would actually share his kingdom reign with people, with people like us. If we're faithful, we're going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ promised that to the church. If you're faithful to me, you're going to reign with me. And we can also learn from this, even when things are difficult, God always raises up a key core of leaders to lead people in the true right ways of the Lord. They're not big numbers, but there are some that are leading people and pointing them in the right ways of the Lord. So Christ is going to share his kingdom with men. Now the fourth accomplishment is Christ will cause his appointed leaders to control the land. Verse 6, they will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword. Now he mentions the land of Assyria, then he mentions the land of Nimrod. So we're talking here about a massive world power. And what I understand Micah to be predicting here is He's going to allow, when the shepherd is back here on earth, physically governing the world, he's literally going to control the land. He's going to control world power. That's the hope we have, ladies and gentlemen. The hope that we have when we look at a world that's just getting way away from what's even normal and rational and moral And when we learn of things that are just evil that are taking place, being supported at the highest levels of people that are supposedly leading our state or our nation, we need to keep in mind that there's coming a day when God's people will rule the world. And there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will appoint leaders. They'll control the land. What an existence that'll be. Everybody in the world that will love the Lord. Everybody in the world will love the word of God. Everybody in the world will be on the same page as wanting to do what's right according to the things of the Lord. Micah says, keep your focus on that when you see a world that's falling apart. Now the fifth accomplishment is Christ will deliver Israel from any enemy attack. He says in verse 6, and he'll deliver us from the Assyrians when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory. No matter who the enemy is, Israel says, I've got a shepherd watching over you. That's what Micah tells them. There will always be a remnant of people. And I think he's talking about this remnant of people because he mentions it in verse 7. He mentions it again in verse 8. So he's talking about the remnant of people who love the Lord and love the word of God. And what he's promising that remnant of people is, look, when you're attacked, when you find yourself under the onslaught of the enemy and you're attacked, You can always know that the remnant of people will be protected. 
that remnant that love the Lord and love the word of God, God will watch over them. He will deliver them. Even when he's targeting other people with judgments, he'll keep those people immune from the judgments. The enemies of God can plot and they can plan. These enemies are powerful and they're prominent. God says, I'll track them all down. You just stay faithful to me as my remnant and I'll watch over you. I'll take care of you. Now, the sixth accomplishment is Christ will make his people refreshment to the world. Verse 7 says, Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on vegetation which do not wait for man or delay for the sons of men. Now, the remnant of people. We're talking about those faithful people. If we put this in a context of the tribulation, it would be that faithful remnant that survived the tribulation. And they're here on earth when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But I also think there's a reference that we can make application of here to a remnant of people who are faithful to the Lord. They are going to become, that remnant will become a group of people who will be refreshing the entire world. This remnant of people who love the Lord and love the word of God, they're going to be refreshing. They're not religiously stale. They're not religiously stagnant. And they're the remnant of Jacob. And that refers specifically to believing Jews living in those last days. Jews that will purpose to be faithful to the Lord. And after God delivers Israel, Israel's going to be seen as a wonderful refreshment to the whole world. I think we learn from this that God wants us to be spiritual showers of blessings. He wants us to be that remnant of people who love him, love his word, seek to obey his word so that we can be a refreshment to other people. And he says, when you're focused on that, I'll make you that. I will cause that to happen. You'll be, as the text says, like dew from the Lord, like showers on vegetation. Now, the seventh accomplishment is Jesus Christ will make his people strong as lions. Verse 8, the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of the sheep, which if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to rescue. Jesus Christ promises something for Israel that she has never, never known. And what he promises Israel here is there's one day people of the world will fear you, and they'll know that I'm on your side. When this one who can bring peace comes back, this lion of the tribe of Judah, when he comes back, he will see to it that this remnant here of Jacob will be the dominant people of the world. Dominant, powerful, ferocious. You won't want a monkey with them. Nobody will dare speak out against Israel. Nobody will dare take a stand against Israel. They will not dare to do anything against Israel because they realize if we do anything against Israel, that nation is authorized to rip us to shreds like a lion. So there will be people who will stand in awe of Israel. Israel has never known this kind of respect in the world. She will when, when the shepherd returns. That one born in Bethlehem will come back and you'll be esteemed as the nation of God. The eighth accomplishment is Christ will cause his people to be on the offensive, not the defensive. Verse 9, your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries and all your enemies will be cut off. You know, this must have been when Micah was telling this to the people who were in threat of being dominated by the Assyrians. This must have been like a dream world. I mean, Micah goes in and he tells them, look, you need to understand There will come a time when people from all over the world, 
will fear you, and if they're your enemies, they're going to be cut off. I mean, that must have been something that they've never seen before, and Israel's never known this. And now this has an immediate application to Israel. Just imagine what the world will look like when Jewish people are going through the world, and you have everybody in the world, and they don't dare say one negative thing against Israel. You can't get those people in Congress popping off their mouths against Israel. You can't get any nation of the world to say anything negative against Israel because they realize God's hands on that nation. And if you speak out against Israel, you're going to pay a very high price. You're going to pay a very severe price. Israel has been the most abused nation in the world. The most abused nation in the world. And what I think Micah is trying to tell these people is your shepherd. That one that's your shepherd. That one that was born in Bethlehem. You want to keep your focus on him. Because he'll come back, he'll reverse all of this. And you'll be the ones who'll be on top and the others will be on the bottom. Which brings us to the ninth accomplishment. Jesus Christ will eliminate all things that made God angry and cost God's people blessings. Now the list of things that he has to eliminate is basically the reason why Israel was being attacked by the Assyrians. I mean, several times... Micah had warned, and so had Isaiah, warned these people, you need to get away from this evil stuff. You don't understand. You're heading to disaster. These leaders that are telling you you're right with God and you're pursuing evil things, you need to understand you're heading to the judgment of God. And several times in this section, you see the word cut off. It's the Hebrew word karath, which means cut off or cut down in the sense of killing, destroying, eliminating, removing something from existence. So these are things that people were trusting in, and in order for this to be a blessed day, these things have to be removed. These things have to be completely cut off. These are not like gray areas. These are black and white things that have to go. And verse 10 says, it will be in that day. They are going to go. And when he says it's going to be in that day, it's a reference to the fact that it's a futuristic prediction. It'll be the day when that one comes back who is your peace. That one who was born in Bethlehem comes back to this earth. In that day, these are the things that are going to go. And he's going to eliminate some things. And there are six eliminations that he specifically brings out here that he mentions. First of all, he'll cut off horses and chariots. Verse 10, I will cut off horses among you and destroy your chariots. Now, the horses and chariots were basically the military equipment of that time. So... Horses and chariots were used by militaries to intimidate people, and when they would go up against an army, if you saw horses and chariots and you saw these guys dressed in their military regalia, you stood in fear and awe of horses and chariots. Well, these people got trusting in that. They got trusting in their military. They believed that their military was their security. They believed that's where their security was. They were trusting in their military more than God. And Israel was doing that right then, when Micah was communicating this. She really felt that her military could handle things. She was putting a lot of trust in her military more than in the Lord. So what the Lord said is, when I come back, I'm cutting that stuff right out. You'll discover it isn't your horses and chariots that are protecting you. You'll learn that I'm the one protecting you. The second thing he's going to eliminate is he's going to cut off the cities. And he says, I will also cut off the cities of your land. Many people find their security in the city, and there's a lot of evil in the city. And not just one city. There's a lot of evil in every city. 
There's wealth and pride and there's power and luxury. There's sin. And people who love big cities, I mean, they love it. They're drawn to that. And they trust in those cities. They trust in the cities to give them their security. They trust in their city government. They love their city events. They love their city sports teams. They love their city location. They love a city more than God, quite frankly. Most people in this world love the city way more than God. So God says, one day, I'll just bring the cities down. That'll take care of that. Then you'll realize who it is you need to be worshiping and who it is you need to be fearing. His third elimination is, I'm going to tear down your fortifications. He says there in verse 11, and tear down your fortifications. Now that refers to all the different defense things that people had trusted in for their security. And Christ said, I'll eliminate them all. In fact, it's interesting because he uses that all. I will tear down all your fortifications. So the emphasis is, whatever you trusted in that you thought was going to keep you secure, I'm tearing it down. His fourth elimination is I'll cut off all forms of that which is demonic. In verse 12, I'll cut off sorceries from your hand, and you will have fortune tellers no more. Now, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, as we near the end of this age, you're going to see more and more occult type of things surface. I think the demonic, satanic, occult type of things are going to surface. You're going to see more and more occult activity, more and more occult killings, more and more occult movies. I think you're going to see more and more demonic stuff that's going to surface. And obviously, when Micah wrote this, this stuff was going on back then. These people were trying to contact the spirit world. They were getting involved in fortune tellers and horoscopes, and they were getting involved in all types of things behind the scenes, witchcraft and the occult. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll put them out of business. When that one who's your peace comes back, that'll be gone because he will cut them off. He will cut them out. Behind all false religion are demons. And one reason, of course, why demonic things will be no more is they'll be burning in the lake of fire, in the everlasting lake of fire, so they won't be a threat anymore. But it's more than just a coincidence to point out that the sorcery was from your hand. In other words, there were people who were using their hands to do all kinds of witchcraft things. They were using their hands to get involved in the evil spirit world. You stay clear of that. You stay clear of that. If you've dabbled in that world, you go to God and you confess that. You confess that to the Lord. We had a years ago, and I've told this story in doctrine class, we had a girl in school and she went into Mr. Miles and she said, I have to sleep with my light on in her dorm room. Well, it was bothering the other girls in the dorm. So they said, we can't handle this. So she went in to see Mr. Miles. He started questioning her. Why do you have to have your light on at night? I can't have it dark in the room. Come to find out she had a Ouija board. A Ouija board. And they said, you get that out of there. You burn it. You stay as far away from that stuff as you possibly can. That's nothing to play with. That's a dangerous thing. That's the kind of thing that can bring you the judgment of God. People would rather trust in stuff like that then learn the scriptures and have a relationship with the God who's sovereign over the angelic world. And to be involved in the occult requires a lot of physical type of action. I think that's interesting that he brings that out. I will cut off your sorceries from your hand because there are physical actions that are involved in the occult activity. And what God says is just stay away from it because I'm going to wipe that out. A fifth thing he's going to eliminate is all forms of idolatry. Verse 13, I'll cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you, 
so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asherim from among you. Not only is he going to put an end to demonic sorcery, he's going to put an end to all forms of idolatry. And when he says, I'm going to cut off your carved images, pasel, it's a word that, this to me is beyond what I can grasp. We're talking about a guy who takes some material and he makes something out of the material and he sets that down and he worships it. To me, it doesn't even make logical, rational sense. But that's exactly what these people were doing. They were making these little images, these little crosses, these little relics. And they were making these things, and they were then taking them into their home, and they're worshiping them. How evil can that be? The word sacred pillars, matzpah, were stones that they stood up. They took stones, and they piled up stones, and they formed them into looking like something. And they went out there, and they worshiped them like that's some type of god. Now, this was Israel. This is how corrupt Israel had become. People would make things with their own hands. They would go out and gather stones, stand the stones up with their own hands, and worship that. And they would bow down to things that they'd made with their own hands. In all reality, the people were worshiping themselves and things they did, things they made. And God said, I've had enough of that. And when my son comes back there, that one from Bethlehem comes back to take over the world, he'll cut off all forms of idolatry. And then he says again, I'll destroy all cities that were idolatrous at the end of verse 14 and destroy your cities. You know, many people who love sexual sin live in the cities, big cities. In fact, the word Asherim is a reference to the mother goddess Asherah, a Canaanite fertility deity. It's a gross carved idol that they made. And these were standing in these cities. And people in the cities, one criminal said, I'd love the big city because I can get lost in it. Oh, no, you can't. You can't get lost in the big city. You may think I'm prowling around the city and nobody sees me and nobody knows what I'm doing. You can't hide from God. And God said, I've seen everything you've done. I've seen every move you made. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he says, all those cities and all the idolatry of those cities, they're coming down. And then... He wraps it up by saying in verse 15, he'll destroy the nations with vengeance, anger, and wrath. In verse 15, he says, and I will execute vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. God is a God of anger. God is a God of wrath. God is a God of vengeance. That's what the text says. And we certainly know from having gone through the book of Revelation that that great tribulation is going to be a time when God is going to hammer this world with wrath. I mean, he's going to pour it out in full force, in sequence order, one judgment right after another. When Jesus Christ returns, he's not coming back here to save the world. He's coming back to destroy these nations that have made a mockery of him and his word. And he'll come back with anger and vengeance and wrath. Now, this gives us, in my opinion, a legitimate right to apply this to nations and apply this to political leaders. And I believe that political and religious leaders in states, cities, and nations had better take a serious look at this book of Micah. Because what this book of Micah says is God is watching you. He's watching you and what you're doing with the power he's given you. And if you move the people away from me, God says, I will track you down and I will destroy you. There's one person who can bring peace to the world. There's one person who can bring peace to your heart. 
And that person is Jesus Christ. And if you will invite him to take over your life, you'll be at peace with God, and you'll have the peace of God. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, right now in this moment, you could settle that just by inviting the Lord to come into your life to save you. Our Father, forgive us for times when we've looked horizontally for peace rather than vertically. We realize, Lord, that the peace that we really are looking for isn't going to be here till you come back and take over this place. And we long for that moment. We long for the moment when you'll rapture us, Lord. We pray it would even be tonight. But in the meantime, as we wait for that, I pray that we would be people who would be that remnant, that small remnant that's very serious about the Word of God and our relationship with you. When we get before you, Lord, we pray that we will be unashamed, will be pleasing to you, and will hear, well done, good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen.